0: Fierce Women Writing is a partner of We Need Diverse Books, a nonprofit that advocates for diversity in children's and young adult publishing at every level. They have many programs that support this mission, including grants, mentorships, and retreats for writers, classroom book giveaways, an app for diverse book recommendations, and others. Learn how you can help them put more books featuring diverse characters into the hands of all children at We Need Welcome to Fierce
1: Women Writing the podcast where female voices are elevated creativity is ignited and writers are inspired
0: i believe that stories can enlighten heal and entertain the reader and the writer first the writer has to quiet their doubts long enough to get the words on the page i'm here to help you put your doubts away and focus on your creativity every day i talk to writers and would be writers who aren't writing They're not writing because they don't think they're good enough, because they've been rejected, don't have time, or don't know where to start. That's why I created this show, so that you can hear from other writers who want to inspire you to share the stories that only you can tell. I'm Sarah Gallagher. Come write with me. Hey there, Fierce Writers. Today's guest is Grace Toulousen. Grace is the Fannie Hurst Writer-in-Residence at Brandeis University. Her memoir, The Body Papers, won the Restless Books Prize for New Immigrant Writing for Nonfiction. She's published prose in Brevity, Creative Nonfiction, Boston Magazine, Boston Globe, The Rumpus, and others. She's the recipient of a U.S. Fulbright Fellowship to the Philippines and an Artist Fellowship Award from the Massachusetts Cultural Council. Welcome to the show, Grace.
1: Thank you, Sarah. I'm so happy to be here. Grace, what are the ideal conditions for you to write? Well, I need privacy, and that's kind of a psychological or mental privacy. I need to be able to block out all the inner editors and critics and potential reviewers in my head and um, and have space from them in order to write. So that's like the inner kind of landscape I need to write. Um, but in terms of external conditions, I like to be around other people, but at the same time, I don't want them to talk to me. So what I'll do is I'll go to different cafes that I've already scoped out and that I like, and I'll set up there, and I'll put my headphones in or my earplugs in, and that's my way of being alone, but also being with other people. That's what I like, is being around people, but not around them at the same time. Why do you write I write because I have to write. And I know it's a simple kind of glib answer, but I've actually tested this theory out with myself. Um, there's been times when I've had incredible disappointments, rejections, um, discouragement and despair. And even during those times, I can remember asking myself, do you still want to write? And somewhere inside me, a voice says yes, like regardless of what's going to happen in terms of publishing or approval or good reviews or any of that, there is a part of me that likes to write or has to write because I have to and because I want to. And it's the way that I process my life and my world and my experiences. And it's um, it's first of all, a relationship I have with myself. It took me a long time to figure that out. I was really, was really like interested in getting people's approval and getting like, you know, the, the so-called A on my stuff. Um, but once I got away from that and got clear about why I write, um, it, it just, it became something that was mine. And if people wanted to publish it and if people wanted to award me stuff because of it, great. But first of all, it is writing as a relationship with me. What are your best writing tips? So I got this writing tip when I was a graduate student from NVM Gonzalez, who is this uh, national artist of the Philippines, a Filipino writer. And he said, well, actually it wasn't him. His wife was trying to get him out of this room because all these people were so hungry to meet another Filipino writer. And they were you know, all over him. And she was pulling him out of the room because it was so late. Um, and the wife who's been probably to all of his events just yelled out to us. She said, read, 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 write, write, write. And that is actually a correct writing. tip. I mean, it's like a really good writing tip. We should be reading a lot and practicing a lot. And in that reading, it could include model text, writers we admire, um, writers that we're confused by, writers we want to learn from. But some of them can also be interviews from ri- from writers where they talk about their processes. And, you know, I am very interested in other writers' processes. I may not, like follow it because it works for that person. But once I learn about it, if I need to, I can take it out and use it for myself. At another point, there was a time when I thought, okay, getting up two hours before I need to be anywhere is what I'm going to do. Um, and I could do that for a short amount of time. Um, for me, that doesn't work long term. But I think, knowing what people do and being able to try it on for a little bit to see if it'll help you get out of rut or, or try or, you know, make a breakthrough. I'm I'm all for that. But at its core, like reading a lot and writing a lot, those are the two best things that you can do for your own writing. What are some suggestions you have for someone trying to overcome a block? Oh, I have a lot because I was blocked for years. One of the things that was, that was difficult for me is that I felt so much pressure to write well for an audience. And like, who is this audience even? It was all imaginary, but it was so pressurized that I found it difficult to write even a couple of words. And so what I did, um, and my therapist suggested this, is having a file open that was what we call like the critic journal or like the neurotic journal. And what it was is I allowed myself to dump all the negative tape and stories in my head into that file. And so if I had something in my head that said like, you're terrible, no one's going to read this, who cares, why bother? I would just write it down. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to write it down. And there was something about the act of writing it in one file or one page that was designated for all that complaint and negativity and horrible stuff that I would never ever say to another human, but yet I was saying it to myself. And so I found that really helpful to have a place to put it. Eventually what happened is that I started to try to interact with those messages. So if it said like, who cares? No one cares about your writing. Then I would go in with a different color pen, or if I was on the computer, a different color font or big font and talk back to it and be like, screw you. I don't care what you think. I'm going to still write. And so it became this internal dialogue that happened. And eventually, that part of me that was being so mean to myself started to get smaller and smaller. And the other part of me that felt very sure, like, I don't care what you think, I'm still going to write, that part got stronger. And so for me, that was a really active, interesting process that worked to melt down my particular block, which was around feeling pressure to perform. What about editing and revising tips? I try to make all of these processes as pleasurable as possible. So if I'm doing a lot of writing on a particular essay or I'm taking notes on something that I know belongs to one project, once I feel like I've amassed a bunch of stuff, I will put it all into one file. I did this with the body papers, actually. Um, I had 300 single-spaced notes, ideas, outlines, chapters, crazy stuff. I had about 300 pages of very undeveloped stuff, and I put them all in a file. And then I go to the library or Staples or whoever has a discount on printing, and I print out that 300-page document. Um, and then I put three, make it, you know, fit a three-hole binder um, and then either buy or recycle a three-hole binder and make myself a cover. Then I take those pages and I have sticky notes, I have highlighter and like a nice pen. And I go through in a notebook, a new notebook, like a legal pad, which I love those legal pads. And I'll go through and start to write ideas and read it and take notes and use sticky notes to like tag themes, like here's all the places where I talk about cancer, here's all the places where I talk about bodies. To me, I find it a pleasurable process. And I'll go somewhere nice, like I'll go lay it out onto a big table in the library and make it near a window, like I'll make it as, as um, aesthetically pleasing an, an experience as possible.
0: For our listeners interested in publishing, can you estimate your submission to publication ratio?
1: So I don't know what to count. Obviously, I'm not going to count things that people ask me for, to write something for their publication. Leaving all that out, on Submittable, I think it is in like the 90 or 95% rejection, really. I have to send something out so much until someone decides to pick it up. So it is a huge, really high rejection rate. And I work with a group of women, we're, we're all women, and we email each other every week. And we try to support each other through a submission process by like encouraging each other to submit every week. And we've gotten to the point where the goal is to submit work. It's not, oh, how is, is it going to get chosen? It's very low stakes. We think, you know, maybe it'll get chosen, maybe it won't. But we submit so much that we don't think about it anymore. The rejection doesn't really bother us. It's really the submission is the key. And I think it works. Like, I think about it all the time. This one friend of mine who's a very successful writer and producer, he said, I think I was complaining about rejection one time. And he said, you know, you got to throw your hat in the ring. Like, you've got to try. Like, sure, it's going to sting a little bit. But if you're not there to be amongst the ones who are chosen, like, you, then you don't even have a chance. And I really do think about that. Just throw my hat in the ring. Just do it. It's, you can withstand the rejection. It'll It'll be fine. I've worked on the other end where I've read for literary magazines. We have like three spots. It doesn't mean those writers are not good writers. It doesn't mean their work isn't strong. But if you have three spots an issue for prose or or for nonfiction, like which I write, um, that's not much considering you have like 300 people who submitted something. So it doesn't, it's not meaningful information about whether you're a good writer or not. Maybe it means you need to like look at something again if it's been rejected a lot and you feel like there's something there to work on, but maybe not, like maybe the thing is actually fine the way it is. It's just that the way publishing works with literary journals, it's, you know, it's a very low percentage of of, uh, submissions that get published.
0: Who are some other women writers that we should be reading right now?
1: I'm thinking right now about Filipinex um, writers, um, American writers, since that's kind of on my mind. So Gia Tolentino, Trick Mirror, a book of essays. She's a New Yorker writer. I think the book was just named one of New York Times 100 Notable of the Year. I, I thought that was a great essay collection, like so full of life, so interesting, Meredith Toulousen, who is a cousin of mine, is coming out with a book in May 2020 called Fairest about her experiences as a trans albino ex woman. And she's a beautiful writer and it's a fascinating book. Another cousin, Rosalind Toulousen, is another writer. She doesn't have a book yet, but emphasis on yet, she will. She's very active um, publishing on the internet and is a fierce woman advocate for rape survivors. I also think about the people in my my writing group. I have this writing group called Chunky Monkeys and Celeste Ng. I love her work and she's a wonderful person and Little Fires Everywhere is going to be a series on Hulu. I know they're filming already. Jen DeLeon, I'm so excited for her book. She has a YA book coming out May 2020 called Don't Ask Me Where I'm From. And it's great. It's about a young Latinx woman, young woman, high school student who gets bused to a predominantly white high school, and it's about her experiences, and it's terrific. Whitney Scher, who wrote The Age of Light, her book came out in paperback this month about imagined life of Lee Miller, the photographer and artist, and it's gorgeous. It takes place mostly in Paris, and it's like her coming of age as uh, an artist in, in this world that is so patriarchal, and her trying to find her way, and it's really alive. And so those are the women in my group who have books out who I'm really excited for. Finally, where can listeners find you online? I do a lot of like writing related things at Grace Toulousan Writer on Instagram. And on Twitter, I'm at Grace T09. And then I'm also on Facebook too. And on email, like people can, if they don't want their, their messages to be public, you can email me at thebodypapers at gmail.com. And I love to hear from folks. I mean, this is, I was writing alone privately for so long, and it's been such a gift to talk to people who've read the book and who want to say something about it or who want to talk about writing. Like, I'm, I love all of this. It's been wonderful. Thank you
0: so much for sharing insights about your writing process with our listeners. Would you read
1: some of your work for us now? I sure will. Thank you for asking. So, this is from the first chapter of the body papers. The recipe for yogurt can be contained in a single sentence. Add a spoonful of yogurt to scalded milk and leave it alone in a warm place until it thickens. It's a deceptively simple recipe that doesn't fully describe the process. The first time I made yogurt, I was in the closet-sized kitchen of my long-term rental in Manila. I wrapped a towel around the warm pot of heated milk as if it were a baby fresh from the bath and tucked it into the microwave oven, the door ajar so that the light bulb stayed on. I let it sleep until morning. I felt the anticipation and excitement of a childhood Christmas morning as I reached into the microwave and unwrapped the towel. The pot felt warm, but it didn't slosh. I lifted the lid and broke the white surface with my spoon. The milk had thickened into a creamy solid. At first, I was reluctant to put the warm substance into my mouth, but it was delicious, smooth, mild, and unlike anything I'd ever tasted. It was such an unexpected marvel that I walked a spoonful to the bedroom and woke my husband Alonzo from a deep sleep so that he could taste the magic too. My beginner's luck motivates me to try for perfection again and again. I experiment with different processes, shorter and longer incubation periods, and several brands and fat contents of milk and yogurt starter. I use the milk of cows, goats, and even carabao, the Asian water buffalo. I play around with the consistency by straining the yogurt in cheesecloth or by adding powdered milk. Powdered milk in the Philippines is a revelation. This is not the chalk dust of my American childhood. Opposite the baby formula is adult milk, an exquisite yellowish powder that tastes like clouds and sweetness, like your mother soothing you back to sleep after a nightmare. Eventually, I decide that carabao yogurt yields the best results. Filipino farmers depend on the carabao for growing rice and sugar for transportation, and for milk, meat, hides, and horns. When we travel outside the city, I always look for the hefty Carabao, stepping slowly through the flooded rice paddies, a beautiful brown beast amidst a landscape of palm fronds and grasses. The green looks electric after being in a city of skyscrapers, condo buildings, and malls, with its haze of gray dust covering everything and everyone. Every night in this megalopolis, I wash this dust off my skin, comb it from my hair, and blow it out my nose. For the first time since I was two years old, I am living in the country where I was born. I visited the Philippines briefly with my parents a few times in my 20s and honeymooned there with my husband in my 30s. But this time, I will stay here half a year, Long enough for me to celebrate my 42nd birthday. We've rented a studio apartment from my cousin Jojo in BGC, Bonifacio Global City, a high-end shopping and entertainment area in Metro Manila, the capital city of the Philippines. This is the land where I began, Luzon, one of 7,641 islands, give or take, that comprise the body of this archipelago nation. I've returned to the place where I was born because I've always had the feeling that I was missing something, like the insistent ache of a phantom limb. I could not imagine what my life in the Philippines would look like, which made planning for it difficult. My husband and I prepared for the journey over many months, shopping for mosquito spray and sunscreen, subletting our apartment, settling job responsibilities, and filling out government forms. I worried about access to clean drinking water and how best to traverse Manila, famous for its gridlock. I spent hours with my sisters auditioning just the right song I could perform in case someone handed me the requisite karaoke mic at a Filipino party. I had read an alarming article in the New York Times that people had been killed for subpar renditions of Frank Sinatra's My Way. I had fewer immigration hurdles to navigate than my American-born colleagues on the same Fulbright Fellowship, whose blood and stool were tested before they were granted a visa by the Philippine consulate. Unlike them, I could invoke Balakbayan privilege as a former Filipino resident. At the travel clinic, my husband and I submitted to vaccines for rabies, hepatitis, and typhoid and were given a yellow card certifying the ways we had protected our bodies from the threats we were about to encounter. Thank
0: you, Grace, for sharing your wisdom and writing with us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
1: Oh, this has been terrific. Thank you so much.
0: Now it's time for our writing prompt. I suggest setting a timer for six or eight minutes putting Grace's writing prompt at the top of your page, and free writing whatever comes to mind. Remember, the important part is keeping your pen moving. You can always edit later. Right now, we just want to write something new and see what happens. Grace has crafted this prompt just for you, based on the excerpt she read from her memoir, The Body Papers.
1: What I'd like you to do is to think about a meal that either you've made for someone else out of love or that someone has made for you out of love. And I'd like you to bring that meal to your mind, recall where you were, what it tasted like, what it smelled like, who was around you, what was happening, what did it feel like to be there? Was there any trouble, any tension, any curiosities or questions? or sometimes big announcements that happen during meals. Or maybe it was just a very quiet meal. Someone gave you food or you made food for someone else with love involved. You can tell us about it in recipe form, kind of like how I started my my piece. I said how to make yogurt. Or you can jump right into medius Res and write about these people or these characters or you eating this meal and what came before and what came after.
0: I'm Sarah Gallagher, and you've been listening to Fierce Women Writing, the podcast. Join me next Thursday for another episode. Until then, keep writing.
1: Become a supporting member of the podcast with a monthly contribution at fiercewomenwriting.com. Get more writing prompts and engage with other writers on our Instagram page at Writing. Remember, women is spelled with an X. You can also help us reach more writers by sharing this episode with a friend and subscribing, downloading, and reviewing the podcast. Thank you for listening.